My name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. If I don't know you, I'd love to meet you. Uh, it's going to be a good day. Do you believe that? <laughs> I think we got more Georgia fans in this crew because it may take a little longer to get them going, but we're going. Hey, look. Brandon Campbitch came in from the peanut gallery. You know what? He is still good. And as a, as a uh, typical Georgia fan, I will say there's always next year, okay? <laughs> so my assignment today is to finish, well, kind of go back to where we started in 1 John chapter 5 because we didn't make it all the way through that last chapter before our We Are the Church series, and we like to finish what we start so my assignment today is to preach 1 John 5, verses 6 through 12. If you have your Bible, I would love to invite you to go there. That's where we're going to be primarily. And I've got a lot of scripture today, so we're going to be flipping around. And uh, they told me I have too much to put it all on the screen. So good luck with that. Uh, hopefully you have your Bible or a phone. Probably easier with the phone because you can scroll and search. You know what I'm saying? No? Okay, great. Give me good. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. I want to paint this picture a, a little bit today because this is a deeply theological text. And John is defending the faith that we have in Jesus as God. Not Jesus as a good teacher. Not Jesus just as a miracle worker or Jesus as a really special person that came and did what he did. No, Jesus as God. Because we believe and affirm that God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's very important that we get that down and understood. And John is helping us do that today. And I'm telling you, we need this word today. Not because it's coming out of my mouth. Please understand. We need this word today because of everything that's surrounding us and where our gaze is being pulled and distracted by because the reality that Jesus is God changes everything. And the hope that we have because of that is all pervasive and it, it demoralizes the temporary things that we decide to be anxious about. So that's where we're going. A uh, little context, John the Apostle is the one who wrote this letter. First John, he also wrote a gospel account. If you know your Bible, there's four gospel accounts. John is one of them. He describes himself as the apostle, the disciple that Jesus loves, not because he thought he was better than anybody, but because he was blown away that Jesus could love him. And that's who's writing this today. And in our text, we find him proving that the testimony of Jesus is true. So you're going to have to bear with me for the first little bit because I'm going to go into teacher mode for a little while to help you understand and paint the picture of where we are because John is kind of going into apologetics mode, which means defending the faith, defending what we profess. So he's, he's helping us understand because the teaching of that day was contrary to the truth of the gospel that we know and believe. And John's trying to help them understand that what they were teaching was false, and there's only one true gospel. So you have to understand that when you get into his language. In verse 9 of 1 John chapter 5, he says, If we receive the testimony of 
men, the testimony of God is greater. He's saying, if, we, if we're so quick and easy to receive the testimony of men, I want to remind you that the testimony of God is greater. And I was struck by that verse because I think it's so true today that we believe the testimony of men so easily. That we take people at their word so quickly. That rumors are so easy to get started. Especially in the age of Twitter, you know. Retweets. Does anybody remember Y2K? Yeah? Oh, yeah. I got a oh, yeah. Y2K was crazy, right? Anybody? Everybody thought it was over. I remember going to my friend's house and seeing cans stacked up to the ceiling in the basement of food, and you got all, all these jugs of water for two-year supply of water, you know, because everybody thought it was over, Right? Everybody was scared about what was coming. And how many times have you seen a prediction that the world is going to end and it didn't actually end, but we're so quick to get lost in this hysteria? So I found this, this story that I think is pretty funny. It's called uh, the story of the flesh-eating bananas. And this story came out in January of 2000. Y2K. The world didn't end on January 1st, 2000, by the way. And... So then some people decided that they needed something else to worry about. So this is what happened in January of 2000. A series of chain emails began reporting that imported bananas were infecting people with a flesh-eating bacteria. A rare disease in which the skin erupts into livid purple boils before disintegrating and peeling away from muscle and bone. This is what they were saying was going to happen if you got the wrong banana. Okay. According to this email chain, the FDA was trying to cover up the epidemic to avoid panic. <laughs> Don't talk about politics, Jared. Faced with the threat, readers were encouraged to spread the word to their friends and family. Make sure everybody knows to stay away from those bananas. The threat was pure nonsense, of course, but by January 28th, four weeks later, the concern was so great that the U.S. Centers of Disease Control and Prevention had to issue, issue a statement denouncing the rumor. But rather than stopping the rumor, it actually fueled the fire, right, because everybody didn't believe what the... CDC was saying, and within weeks, the CDC was hearing from so many distressed callers that they had to open up what they called a banana hotline. <laughs> and that, that was like before Twitter, you know? That was when people called in and, and emailed and answered their emails and stuff. We're so quick to believe the testimony of man. And in this day, John was addressing that in a different way, but the problems were similar because the people were starting to believe this different teaching and they weren't believing the testimony of God. And John is saying, if you're going to believe them, let me remind you that the testimony of God is greater. And I think it's important that we are reminded of that today as well. John is addressing the teaching of the day called Gnosticism. Big word. You don't have to know that to be saved, okay? So don't worry. But Gnosticism in its boiled down simple form was a teaching that said all spirit was good and all matter was evil. 
So spirit is good, matter, physical, body, flesh, physical, anything matter is, is evil. And so this obviously presented a problem when it comes to Jesus because Jesus was God, spirit, and man, flesh. And so they, 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 they denounced this truth that God could be both God and man in the form of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So this Gnosticism teaching was a big problem because it opposed the very gospel that we profess. And John is opposing that very clearly and trying to help them understand the truth of the gospel. If you go back to his gospel account, John 1, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, the word was God, Jesus, and the word was with God. From the beginning, Jesus is God. And this is very important and foundational because the Gnostics were trying to separate the Father and the Son. They were actually going as far as to say when Jesus, when Jesus was born, when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came onto him. But then when he was arrested to be crucified, the Spirit left him. Because the spirit can't be a part of that. Like this, this mixture of good and evil. There's no way that God could condescend in the form of sinful, fallen, broken man. Hence the beginning of a lot of religions that we don't have time to talk about. If Jesus is not God, then all of this Christianity falls on its face. But there is a testimony to prove that Jesus is God. And that's what John is teaching us today. So if you have your Bible, 1 John 5, we're going to start reading here in verse 6. John writes and he says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. Somebody say, these three agree. You you probably don't know what that means, but we're going there, and I'm going to help you. So say it again. These three agree. Come on, just for humor. Okay. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Woo-hoo. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony. This would be a good moment to underline or highlight or have a photographic memory. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. John makes it very clear what the testimony is. That God gave his son. For us. And that because of that, we can have eternal life. And whoever has the son has that life. But whoever does not have the son does not have life. 
We're going to focus on 6, 7, and 8 at the top of this, and this is where I'm going to go a little deeper into my teacher mode, but we're almost done with that, I promise. These three agree. These three agree. The water, the blood, and the spirit. What do they agree on? They agree on the testimony that Jesus is God, and through him we have eternal life. That's what they agree on. These three agree. His sacrifice, Jesus, God in human flesh, died on the cross, and his sacrifice was enough to purchase our redemption. His life is our life, and that life is eternal, and this is our testimony. And these three agree to that. So we're going to look at these three that agree, okay? If you're taking notes and you like that kind of thing, there's three points today at the top because these three agree. Number one, the testimony of his baptism. The testimony of his baptism. The water. Jesus was baptized. We see this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. So first question, why was Jesus baptized? Why was the perfect son of God baptized? We know that baptism by immersion, going down, symbolically dying to yourself in repentance and surrender and being raised to new life in Christ as a new creation. The old is gone, buried, dead. The new has come. That's what we're, we're representative of when we go into the waters of baptism. Why would the Son of God needs to be baptized? It's a fair question. Why would the Son of God need to be baptized? If he was truly sinless, why did he need to be cleansed and go down into the waters in repentance? The answer is clear because the Son of God came to step into our place, to be a replacement, a representative for us. Because we couldn't bear the weight of what we owed because of our sin. He became the propitiation of sins. He became the representative for us. And in every step of his life, he did that to fulfill the mission that he was on. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John the Baptist to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? So John's asking the same question. Sorry, I don't have it on the screen. Man, got to do better. Hopefully you have your Bible or your phones. I'm sitting here reading, thinking y'all are reading. Who knows? I look up and nobody's looking at the... Okay, all right. John's asking the same question we're asking. Why does Jesus need to be baptized? I should be baptized by you, and you're asking me to baptize you. And this is what Jesus said. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is the purpose of me coming was to every step of the way step into the place of sinners as their representative, as their advocate, as their propitiation, their wrath-bearing sacrifice to absorb all of the penalty that they owed as a representative on their behalf so that they can have life. This is all part of the prophecy being fulfilled. And Jesus openly stepped into our place and took on the burden of the sin that we 
deserve. The reality of this moment when he came to John the Baptist, where all of the most wretched sinners were being baptized in the Jordan River. And this perfect spotless, like he comes in and what is he doing getting in the same water as all the dirty ones? Because this is the Jesus that we know. This is the Jesus that we serve and love. We see the testimony of his baptism. Secondly, we see the testimony of his crucifixion. The blood. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The blood that we're talking about here is the blood that was shed on the cross of Christ. When he was crucified for the sins of the world, his blood was shed. And it was purposed for the cleansing of our sins, to atone for our sins. We see the testimony of his crucifixion in his blood. He voluntarily submitted to this death for the salvation of the world. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Which is the testimony given at the proper time. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus, the righteous for the unrighteous, replacing the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This, the gravity of this self-sacrifice, the, the reality of what he did is so much greater than any human could do. This is even greater than an angel could do. This is Something only God could do. Because it had to be a perfect, spotless lamb that was slain for us in order to pay the debt that we owed. We see the testimony of his crucifixion. And thirdly, we see the testimony of his spirit. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. That would make a good tattoo. John 15, 26. Jesus is speaking. He says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will bear witness about me the spirit that is the truth will bear witness about me jesus the son of god what better witness than a witness that is true we're not very familiar with that kind of thing because we got a lot of people that have agendas and they're feeding us what they say is true. And then we get so gray and so confused that we start to believe that you have your own truth. And you can predict what you want to be and what you were from the beginning. And suddenly, don't have time for that at all. But the Spirit <laughs> is the truth. 1 John three twenty four. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given 
us. This is the testimony of the Spirit. The objective truth being be, coming down and filling us in us subjectively testifying to the same end. Do you, get, do you see this? This is, this is legal language, but it's very important. The testimony of the Holy Spirit is totally true. Truth without any error. Light without any darkness. This is a package that you cannot find any creases or crevices in. This is ultimate truth. And you're, John says, you're so easy to believe the testimony of men, but you have forgotten that the testimony of God is greater. These Three agree, the water, the blood, and the spirit. They all three testify to the Son of God. When we look at the whole story of Scripture, we see that the significance of these three agreeing is from cover to cover. And it tells the whole story, and it gives us great confidence in what we believe. If you look at Exodus chapter 29 or Leviticus chapter 9, you see that there were three things that had to happen for the priests to be ordained. Every priest would have to go through ceremonial washings and preparation in order to be ordained as a priest and in order to come as an as a intercessor between God and man. And those three, you could probably guess, are the same three. As we see in 1 John 5, washed in water, they would be ceremonially cleansed, washed by water every time. They would be covered with blood, a little bit weird, but on their ear they would have blood covering, on their thumb they would have blood covering, and on their toe they would be touched with blood. The blood is symbolic for the atoning of the sin because they realized how this, the gravity of coming into the relationship with God, coming into the presence of God. They needed to be covered. They needed to be washed. They needed to be clean because he is so holy. And number three, they were anointed with oil, which was representative of the spirit. These three agree. The people that John was writing to, he's speaking their language. Because throughout their history, they had seen that three must, these three must be in place for the priest to come before God. And these three agreeing was a significant thing to say. By water, sin is acknowledged and repentance and surrender. By blood, sin is atoned. And by the Spirit, sin is destroyed. So what is the significance of three witnesses, right? That number three. Why, why three, John? Remember, he's speaking their language, and they would have known. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. A single, wit a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. It's the teaching of the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 18, 16 in the New Testament. Jesus is teaching. And he says, if, he, if, if a person does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Then Paul taught again in 2 Corinthians 13, 1. This is the third time I'm coming to you, he says. 
Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Remember, John is trying to prove the truth of who Jesus is. And he's speaking their language in order to help them understand what the truth is. And he's saying, look at these three that agree. And look at how that lines up with the entire course of history. It's amazing. Verse 11, 1 John 5, we're back. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. This is the testimony. That God gave freely... We didn't earn it. He gave it to us. Eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Well, Jared, that sounds really cut and dry. (laughs) Sounds really black and white right there. Like it sounds kind of exclusive, right? Like I don't know if that's kind of, it may be offensive to go there. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. For there is one way, there is one truth, and there is one life. The way, singular. The truth, singular. The life, singular. Not multitudes of everyone's truth coming together at one point to make, you know, a destination. We don't don't hope in that. Because there is no hope in that. So you say it's exclusive. Yep. Because there is one way to the Father. And there is no other way but by Jesus. And this is why we have to understand what John is teaching. And I'm sorry if you're tired of the same message every week. But the reality is the the fact that Jesus is God changes everything. It is pervasive. And we've got to teach that. Because we've got to have confidence in our position with Him. In Christ. Nothing can separate you. And in Christ, all life flows. This is the reality. Yes, it is offensive. Because without Jesus, there is punishment. But if we don't understand the reality of this truth, then we fail in this life to fulfill our purpose. And that's why it's so important that we go here. John 1, 4 is reflective to what he said in his letter. In Jesus was life and the life was the light of men. The reality about this life. I want to give you some confidence here, believer, Christian. The possessor of this life doesn't need anyone to tell him or her whose they are. I don't need somebody to tell me whose son I am because I know whose son I have. Do you see? And it's personal. It's personal. And it's unique. And it's different for each of us. But it's the same God. Father, Son, Spirit. And when we are filled with the Spirit, His Spirit testifies with our spirit 
that we are children of God, Romans 8, 16. And thus, the confidence comes from this personal nature. This is the way that God designed it. For the testimony of His Son to be both personal and portable. Yeah, I went with another P, but you know. Because when it's in us, it goes with us. And we go with it. So every time we step, and every time we open our mouth, and every time we do anything, every time we make a decision, we are being led by that testimony. That Jesus is God and he is our Lord. He is our king. He is our savior. He has fulfilled everything that the Bible said he was going to fulfill. We have life eternal. So we don't need to cower in anxiety with everything that this world has to throw at us. Because we know that beyond the grave our hope is greater than it all. And in this life he has promised life to the full. This testimony is personal and it's portable. It's distinctly yours, and no one can take it away from you. No one can take it away from you. You can go to college campuses all over, and you can have the greatest arguments and the head of, of, of you know, defending your faith. And don't hear me say you don't need to know what you believe. You do need to know what you believe. But own what is personally yours because it's a relationship. There's no amount of knowledge that can help you ascend that hill. This hill has been torn down. Jesus has come to you. He now lives in you through his spirit. And you are free to go and own this relationship as a son or a daughter of him. This is good news. This should be our confidence. And there is power in this testimony. There is power in your testimony. This is what we need today. This is what we need to hear today. Because the truth is we are scared and fearful and anxious. And if you would allow me to step on a couple toes. Your choosing anxiety is robbing you of your power. Because when you get lost in the horizontal, temporary news of the day, your testimony starts to become what you have let in. And now the testimony doesn't carry the same power because you've put your hope in other things that aren't going to last. And the church that Jesus died for, the church that Jesus established, the Christians that the Holy Spirit indwells are meant to carry power by the word of our testimony. We can't trade power for all the temporary things that are distracting. We can't trade power for comfort. We can't trade power for convenience. We can't trade power for confusion. We can find power when we focus on the gospel, the hope that we have in Jesus and the reality that we're set on fire by the Holy Spirit. There's power in this testimony. Revelation 12 
Starting in verse 10, as we near the end today, Revelation 12. I think I did give him this one. Yes, sir. Revelation 12. He gave me the thumbs up. First thumbs up I've gotten in a while. Revelation 12. <laughs> this is John, the apostle, writing the book of Revelation. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. It's a lot easier to say, come on to the first clause in verse 11. It's a lot harder to say, come on to the second clause, which says, for they loved not their lives even unto death. But the reality of this power is the harder we squeeze onto this life, the harder we hold on to our comforts, the harder we hold on to our convenience, the further we get away from letting go and allowing God to do what he wants. Because the reality is... There is power when we rest in the fact that there is a life beyond this one and our hope and our reward is there. It says, it says that they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony because they loved not their lives even unto death. They stood before the accuser with the word of their testimony, not afraid, not anxious about tomorrow. Because they knew what was coming for them. Can we say the same for this church? Can you say the same for you? There's power in the testimony of Jesus. We have to live it and we have to speak it. It's not enough to wear the shirt or have the mug that says, I will preach the gospel and if necessary, I will use words. The reality is we come to faith by hearing. Live it, do it, live it. Open doors with your life, then speak. If the testimony is real, if it's burning inside of you, you won't be able to help yourself. Acts chapter 4 we're coming to a close. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The, the apostles, the, the early church, the disciples are gathered in the room. They're praying together. They're, they're being persecuted. They're suffering for the name of Jesus. They're suffering for their testimony. Don't miss that fact. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They didn't love their lives more than they loved God. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. 
purpose. Power for a purpose. Don't miss that. Because some of us have prayed for a long time for the house to be shaken. Acts chapter 4, Lord, bring it back. Let us shake. Shake the roof. Man, we got some good worship here. The roof almost came off. Are we praying for the roof to shake? Or are we praying for power to be within? The problem with that prayer is we have to let go of life and comfort and convenience and we have to surrender. It's a call to die to ourselves and receive Him and His power. And when you receive that power, there is purpose. The Bible says that there was no needy person among them. Nobody needed anything because everybody was ready to give everything. It's not mine anyway. This is not a year-end gift. This is a daily walk. What if the person that's sitting socially distanced from you right now is not there by accident? I said this at the last service. They found it funny. What if the person that you're going to pee next to on the way out today isn't there by accident? Shouldn't recycle jokes. What if we walk through life with that mindset that we've been given power for a purpose and there's people around us that need what we have and it's not ours anyway? How powerful could we be, church? That's when the roof shakes. Not when we pray for the manifestation that shake the roof. No, when we live in the power. And we pray for him to come. And by the way, they were suffering when they were praying that. They weren't real comfortable. But none of that makes sense. Unless Jesus is God. And unless he has come for his children to redeem us from our sin and take us to an eternal destiny in heaven. Does it make sense to let go of our things? to live for other people unless there's a reward that's coming. That's why it's important that we understand what John is teaching us that Jesus is God and the reward is coming. We have a hope that goes far beyond who is politically in authority. We have a hope that goes far beyond what happens with the virus. But where we focus matters. Where we focus dictates our testimony. What is your testimony? What are you living? What are you speaking? What is your testimony? Let's look at John the Baptist as our model in John chapter 3 verses 22 and maybe through 30. This will be our conclusion, but I want to look at John the Baptist as our model. Starting at verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. Jesus is now in his ministry. He's baptizing people. 
He's forgiving people. He's, he's pointing them to a repentance and a belief, a trust in God for their salvation. And he's doing it on the other side. And John the Baptist is over here on this side because the water was plentiful there. In other words, nobody really was being baptized there. And they were over there with Jesus. And people were coming to him. Verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look at him. He is baptizing and all are going to him. Be jealous, in other words. Look at that church over there, killing it. Baptizing all those people. And John answered, unfazed, he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. <laughs> you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. We found a better tattoo idea. That's two in one sermon. He must increase, I must decrease. John, you need to be jealous. Look at him. His ministry's thriving. And yours over here, you got a lot of water to spare. No, 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 no. No, no. It's not about a brand. It's not about a building. It's not about whose roof shakes the most. No. He must increase. I must decrease. Because, because our testimony, what's our testimony? This is a pop quiz. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. That's why he must increase and I must decrease because I can't give anybody life. No matter how great our service is, no matter how awesome our worship is, no matter how much the roof shakes, the best we can do is make it shake from the DB, you know, decibels musical term he must increase I must decrease this is the testimony that John the Baptist held on to he walked out his life for one purpose to magnify Jesus and when he saw him coming he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That word takes away in the Greek means to bear, to wear, to, to take it on. And then to take it to the cross and leave it on the cross. In him is the life, the only way, the only truth, the only life. What is your testimony? What is your testimony? If you've never received this life today and you don't know what your testimony is, don't walk out of those doors without making it right. Don't do it. We'll be up here at the altar. It's open for you to come in surrender. 
We can help you with any questions you have. We can pray with you. We can walk with you through it. But don't walk out those doors if you're still questioning where your testimony is. And for those of you that have been walking with God, Christians in the room, the question is the same. What is your testimony? Because it's real easy right now to allow our testimony to become more horizontal focused. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do you need to surrender today? What do you need to move out of the way so that you can focus on him and totally surrender so that your testimony can be his and there can be power in it? Father God in heaven, we're here for you and you only. God, you're our only hope. You're our only source of life. And you give it so freely. Your grace is enough. So today, God, I pray that as we magnify your son, Jesus, that you would come in power, that you would fill us up with more of you and that we would decrease. Make us a church that fulfilled the needs of the ones around us. Make us a church that put the power that you've given us into action to accomplish the purpose that you set out before us. Now breathe life into this place. In Jesus' name, I pray it. Breathe life by the power of your spirit into this place. We need you now. We need you more than anything. We declare that. We profess that. We confess that. You are our only hope. So come, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.